Welcome to the second season of SeaTech Voices, The Risk Perspective, the podcast that brings you expert insights to today's hot topics in healthcare cybersecurity, compliance, and privacy. Each episode of The Risk Perspective Season 2 features an inside listen into the conversations between SeaTech thought leaders, subject matter experts, and industry guest speakers who share their trusted risk expertise and perspectives. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. New episodes are released weekly, and a transcript of each episode can be found at Synergistic.com. And now for the show. Hello, and welcome back to The Risk Perspective. I'm Lauren Frickle. Today, we'll be discussing the amendment to the High Tech Act, and it's with my pleasure to introduce our guests, Mr. Mac McMillan and Mr. David Finn. Welcome, Mac and David. David, how are you? I am doing fine. I'm very excited about 2021. I think we got off to a good start, which we're going to talk about. It's good to have you back, uh, Lauren. But most importantly, I am very excited to have Mac McMillan back for this session of of CTEC Voices uh, on a very special topic. And that topic for today is HR 7898, which was an amendment to the High Tech Act. And it kind of slipped under the radar. It was signed by President Trump on January 5th, although it uh, moved with lightning speed through both houses of of Congress. It was introduced originally in July 31st, passed the House Energy and Commerce Committee, moved to the Senate by mid-December, and and went from the Senate uh, on December 19th uh, by unanimous consent. Uh, and because of all the fun and games going on in Washington, D.C., we missed it. But H.R. 7898 is important in that it now creates a standard for best security practices in healthcare based on NIST and the 405D workgroup product that is also all based on NIST. Uh, and it allows the secretary, as well as the Office of Inspector General of Health and Human Services, to apply those best practice standards when they're looking at fines, when they're looking at favorable termination of an audit, or when they're looking at mitigation remedies uh, that would be agreed to under a potential solution for a HIPAA security rule violation. And so uh, I happen to know that Mac has been working on this and making NIST the standard in the sector for a long time. And I'm going to start out by asking Mac, how, how long is the journey and, and what did it look like? <laughs> So, so you know, it's really funny, David, because when I, when I, and you, as you know, as soon as it came out a few days ago, I sent you a note and said, it's finally here. The journey has been long. And, you know, I, I look back and I think the first time that I talked about the NIST as a standard for healthcare, believe it or not, was in 2001, which was actually two years before the security rule went into, went into effect, even further before it went into actually into enforcement. You know, and and part of it was because, and and I used to tell this story all the time when I was giving presentations and talking to people. And I used to say, you know, you can can be completely compliant with HIPAA and still be insecure because HIPAA did not represent a complete standard or a complete framework. uh, And it only represented it at the time, based on my analysis, somewhere roughly around 21 20 to 21% of the requirements that we saw in the, in the NIST framework. 
So I stuck to my story all along, and I said the industry needed to go to NIST because it needed to have a standard, and it needed to have a credible standard that, that everybody could recognize, which supports everything from interoperability to trust and confidence between organizations to being able to, to demonstrate what your program, how effective your program is being managed uh, and what you're doing. And it was really funny, as I look back over the timeline, in 2006, Dave, believe it or not, was the first year that we actually gave Synergistic customers the option of either using the NIST framework or the HIPAA security rule for their assessments. And in 2009, when the, when the first High Tech Act came out, and we, and we began to recognize that both OCR and CMS were using the NIST standard for, for their investigations and their audits, that we said, you know what, we really need to take a step further and begin to use the NIST standard for our assessments, even if we convert the results later to the, to the HIPAA security rule for reporting purposes, which is what we did. And then in 2014, when the, when the uh, NIST DSF came out, we, we took a step even further and we literally moved to the, to the NIST format for all of our assessments. And only if a customer requested it after that would we map it back to the HIPAA security rule because we, by then we had, we had decided and we had convinced most of our customers at least that the NIST framework was a much more, was a much more uh, practical framework to base their programs on. You know, but we still couldn't get anybody in Washington to listen back then. And even, even in 2015, uh, I began to do work with the Baldrige organization. Uh, and even Baldrige incorporated the NIST CSF into their criteria that they evaluated organizations by. And by, and by 2019, we literally had 100% or just about 100% of all of our customers using the NIST uh, framework for their assessments and their evaluations and for their, their programs. So, I, so I, I, I guess you could say we were kind of ahead of the curve and fortunately positioned our customers and the folks that listened to us to be able to take advantage of what, what has now come to fruition here in 2021. And, and, you, and you know, one of the things that I, that I really like about the way they did it was they did it as an incentive measure as opposed to, you know, they did it as a carrot instead of the stick, if you will. So the people who do this, who, who adopt the NIST framework for their program and can demonstrate some discipline and rigor around what they're doing and, and best practice will have the benefit, the added benefit of if, you know, something happens, which we all know is, is completely possible, for, no matter how good your program is, they'll have the benefit of being able to take advantage of this new uh, rule or law, if you will, that, that will give them a break uh, as it relates to the audits or the penalties that might be assessed by virtue of doing what is recognized as best practice. So, you know, it's taken a long time to get here, uh, literally 20 years, <laughs> but uh, we're here. Time flies when you're having fun. And and I know I've done some homework myself, Mac, and, and actually did, did some digging, and you were the first really healthcare-focused security firm that did shift to, to NIST. And, and by the time I joined you over here at Synergistic and we started publishing a, 
uh, an annual report. We, we obviously were looking at the HIPAA security rule, but we started benchmarking against NIST. And so kind of my next question is, you, you came at this from a unique perspective, your work in the government, the DOD and, and other federal agencies. It's not only the standard and best practice, but it allows you to speak a common language across the industry. And, and so we've, we've, we've accidentally built a benchmark here using NIST for, for the healthcare sector. But what do you think, in addition to having best practices, how do the standards and a common language and a common framework for talking about security help a sector? Well, they, they help it in, in a lot of ways, you know, and, and in many ways, I kind of lived through this in, in, the, in the government, uh, because if you, if you date me even further and you go back to the 80s, <laughs> uh, we were just adopting cybersecurity standards at the time for our systems then, and I'll take you back to the Orange Book and the Rainbow Series. These are things that the kids today have never even probably heard about. <laughs> but uh, but what we found is in the mid-90s, when the federal government, and, and in my case, the Department of Defense, decided that it wanted to basically connect everybody and have a, a seamless uh, infrastructure across all of the 26 Department of Defense agencies and the five services so that they could share information and then and even broader than that to, to other agencies. What they found was that there was such a disparity in people's programs in terms of level of security and level of trust um, that we basically came up with this concept of trusted environments. And the way you created a trusted environment was you all adopted a common standard. And by doing that, then when I wanted to connect to another agency or to another organization, or even in some cases, our defense contractor community, we could do that by virtue of being able to demonstrate that we were all using a common, at least a, a basic common standard in terms of how we did things and how we secured our environments. And it, so it, it, it helped interoperability, it helped data sharing, it helped collaboration. And so when you think about that, I mean, healthcare beyond the past decade, I mean, Dave, all we've been talking about is sharing information, interoperability, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And all those things are enhanced or enabled when, when all of us can, can say we're doing things in a common way, at least with respect to standards around data protection. And we can do that with confidence. I can, I can connect to you and feel, feel safe that my information and my network is not going to be at risk by, by joining yours or connecting to yours because you're doing things at least at a basic level that meet the same criteria that I'm, that I'm using with respect to protecting my data. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt, because as you were describing your, your interconnection across government units, uh, I'm thinking, geez, that, that sounds an awful lot like interoperability. And, and since we wrote interoperability without any standards around security for the APIs, maybe, maybe now we've at least got a framework for measuring how we're, how we're doing that. The interesting thing, one of the, the caveats in, in the amendment to HITECH, uh, this HR 7898, it says the secretary shall consider whether the covered entity or business associate has adequately demonstrated that it had for not less than the previous 12 months 
recognized security practices in place that could be used to mitigate fines and so on and so forth. So what, what's your advice for the organizations in healthcare that have not moved to NIST standards and NIST practices? <laughs> well, I, the fir my first advice ball. is... What can I say? Yeah, my first advice is, what are you waiting on? I mean, you <laughs> should do this as quickly as possible. I mean, the, the fact that that basically what the government has said to you now is look that you have you have a standard we have rules out there we have we have the ability to fine, fine you and, and to hold you accountable but we're giving you an opportunity here to basically demonstrate that you are doing things in, in a best practice way or in a manner that is that is deemed responsible which will then allow you to avoid or to mitigate some of that penalty, if you will, or that, that accountability. You know, I, it's hard to imagine for me that, that an organization wouldn't want to do that. I mean, hospitals, are, are they're in the business of taking care of people. Uh, and anything else that they have to focus on that's different, that's contrary to that, um, is a distraction. This is a way not only to to do the right thing and to demonstrate for people that if your your patients as well as your peers that you're a responsible organization and you're doing things in a smart way, but it's also a way for you to avoid that distraction because let's face it, you and I both know, Dave, we've seen it firsthand when organizations get bogged down in penalties and 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 the outcomes of OCR audits and and the results of those things, it's a distraction for them. Um, and, and we don't need those distractions. We need to focus on taking care of people. Absolutely. And, and that leads to kind of my next question, Mac. And, and you and I have talked about in incentive and in healthcare, historically, the term incentive has, have meant payments for things like meaningful use and that kind of thing. And, and this is this is still voluntary. You don't have to follow this, but you, you have some some backup for using best practices and it has to be recognized by best practice. But how do you think this will help incent providers to increase uh, investment in cybersecurity? And you touched on a, a couple things because this isn't just about uh, regulatory compliance and uh, IT. This is really about patient safety. So, so do you, you talk to a lot of CEOs and CFOs out there. Are they getting that message that this is an incentive for them to invest in, in security finally? You know, I, I, I haven't really seen that. I, I think, I think the, the message lately um, has, that's, that's gotten that kind of across them even more so is, is just the tremendous impact that a lot of these incidents have had on organizations that have absolutely directly impacted their organization's ability to provide care and, and the impact it's had on their ability to generate revenue, which, you know, right now, and as you know, in, in these times with COVID and everything else, the last thing you need is anything that disrupts your ability to operate as effectively as possible. This on top of that, I think is, if, you know, if I, if I were a practicing CIO in a health organization today, I mean, I would absolutely take this to my leadership 
and say, you know, if, if we haven't taken this step to, to standardize on the NIST framework, now's the time to do it because this is, this is a way to literally help us avoid unnecessary cost and unnecessary disruption. And that's got to resonate. I know that would, it would, me as a former CEO, it would resonate with me. I mean, I, I'm, you know, you don't have to hit me over the head with a with a stick that that says, "Hey, if you do this, you're better off." So I think I think it's it to me it's just it's it's really a simple simple discussion to have with your with the executive team. Yeah, and and you you make a couple good points. Uh, it, the the threat environment is is really getting much worse for healthcare. COVID uh, has certainly impacted not only operations but security operations as well as clinical operations and and here we are sitting in January of 2021 and the last two months have actually seen a 45% increase in cyber attacks in healthcare so if you haven't started moving now is the time which gets us back to something else i know you and i have worked on for a long time and that is the anti-kickback statute and the Stark law changes, which just finally came through, which, right. which removes some of the perceived barriers to sharing cybersecurity with providers. So, you know, it isn't uncommon for a big hospital to have uh, affiliated docs or, or be associated with smaller hospitals. Is, is, this, is this a way for organizations to leverage that, that anti-kickback changes and the Stark law changes? To, to drive NIST and even more security into the sector as well. I think it is, and I and I think that's and I think that's another key uh, change that's happened recently that you and I both have have seen over and over again. That you know, there's no doubt about it. Implementing anything is much more difficult for the small provider, the physician practice, or uh, or the rural facility than it is for the large system. And and we've seen more and more of these smaller systems become affiliated with or part of of a larger system or or working with a larger system. And as and as you and I both know, you know, your security is only as good as the people you're connected to. So the ability to have a standard, and then the ability to be able to actually help the smaller the smaller entity elevate their security so that they can so that you can have that trusted environment between organizations no matter how small or, or large they are it's just it's just a it's got to help the industry as a whole and i hope that more people take advantage of that because the large systems i mean the ability for the large system to push some of this technology and down to the smaller system uh, is so much more economical i mean we, we you know as well as i do the larger organizations typically can drive better price points for a lot of this stuff um, than the smaller guy can because of volume buying, et cetera. And it's just, you know, there's just so much benefit here. If somebody just thinks through it and and comes at it strategically uh, and thinks about everybody in their in their ecosystem, if you will, that they're connected to as part of them, and then how do we benefit everybody by, by doing this? Absolutely. And I, th I think that's a great point, Mac. Healthcare is probably the most hyper connected sector there is and and it is 
kind of uh, ironic and certainly a little sad that it is the last of the 16 critical infrastructure sectors as defined by the Department of Homeland Security to adopt it. And while it's not formal, it, it sets it as the standard and allows uh, enforcement to use NIST and, and 405D workgroup output to measure and weigh punishments and fines and uh, audits and all that kind of stuff. So so I want to thank you for your time. I, I know we're wrapping up here, but any closing thoughts about healthcare cybersecurity in, in particular? Well, I, you know, I, I think the thing that I'd like to say, and, I, and this has been a real important issue for me for a long time, and it's something that I've really felt strongly about, that the industry needed this standard. Um, and I want to thank you and a lot of the other uh, younger folks in the industry today. Um, I am not one of the younger folks in the industry. <laughs> well, all of you who are on the 405, on the, on the task force and on the 405D work group, you know, my hat's off to you. You finally got the football across the finish line, so to speak, and you and you completed what a lot of us have thought for years is something that we needed to do. And I, you know, you should be really. I think all of you, everybody who had a hand in it, should feel really good, and 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 understand that you you made a tremendous contribution uh, to the industry, and you should be very proud of that. I, I think you guys did a great job. Thank you, sir. And now we just need to go do it. Thanks, man. We all, that's always the last part, isn't it? Yeah, the hard part. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next session. All right. Thank you, Mac and David. It's certainly been an honor to listen in on this very special topic indeed. And thank you to our listeners for listening.